0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
1: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. Today on the Roundup, we're, uh... Number 1. Chicago remains America's most corrupt city while Illinois is the country's third most corrupt state. That is the grim finding of an annual report from the University of Illinois at Chicago. Lightfoot busted on a hot mic. Thank you, Alderwoman. Pritzker okays a huge criminal justice reform bill. The sweeping legislation mandates the end of cash bail, requires police to wear body cameras, and makes dozens of other changes. And Madigan steps down.
0: I have resigned as the state representative from the 22nd District.
1: Here to take us inside those stories and more is Crane's Chicago business politics reporter, A.D. Quig. Hey, A.D.
2: Hey, happy Friday.
1: Also with us is David Grising, president of the investigative watchdog Better Government Association. David, welcome back to Reset.
0: Thank you, Sasha. Glad to be here. Let's
1: start down in Springfield. David, Michael Madigan stepped down from the seat that he's held for five decades. Then he appoints someone and then essentially forces him to resign. What is going on here?
0: Well, yeah. Uh, Mike Madigan, who had a reputation for meticulous planning and execution, has had a public humiliation over uh, the successor to his seat in the state house. He also this week stepped down from his state Democratic Party chairmanship, so it has not been a good week for Madigan. For three days, we had his hand-picked successor, Edward Kodat, who then was discovered to have some undescribed lapses of some sort, and instead we now have the new state representative will be Angie Guerrero-Quellar, and it's a real change in a district that had Mike Madigan represented them for 50 years.
1: So, A.D., as as David pointed out, Madigan handpicks his replacement in the House and three days later essentially forces him to resign, is already moved on to his second replacement, Angie guerrero Cuyar.
2: Tell us who she is. So she is a community services worker involved in, right now, in COVID-19 education, contact tracing, and uh, safety outreach. She says, you know, I'm looking forward to getting to know people in my district. Just what a weird, what a weird week for Madigan. Yeah. Um, for those keeping score, he's now no longer speaker, no longer state rep, no longer in charge of the state Democratic Party. So three out of five of the positions he hold, <laughs> he no longer holds, and it's just been the past couple weeks have just been kind of a roller coaster in all already insane couple roller coaster years for Madigan.
1: A.D., this seems to be a question that we, we've been asking ourselves really since, since Madigan was dethroned as House Speaker. But what does his exit mean for Illinois? Like, what does the state government look like with Madigan out as Speaker, out as state rep, out as the Democratic Party chairman?
2: Different is, is the short <laughs> answer. It's going to be different and it's going to take a little while um, to figure out. I've been talking to a lot of people about how institutions change when there's a vacuum like this. Um, We're starting to see what that looks like with a new House speaker with Emmanuel Chris Welch Um, He's already made some changes to the rules. He has already decided to term limit himself. He sounds open to making a series of ethics changes. In the weeks to come, we're going to figure out who is going to be running the Democratic Party of Illinois. To folks that don't like the way Madigan ran it, he was using it mostly to bolster his numbers in the Illinois House. Um, The more Democrats in the House that owe him their jobs, Mm -hmm. the better for his agenda. But to other folks in the party like Dick Durbin, that was leaving just about every other aspect of party building undone candidate recruitment, supporting county parties. It's going to be different. And we don't know yet what these different competitors for running the state party uh, will do with it. But I would expect opening it up a little bit more, um, less control centralized in, in one person's hands.
1: David, let's talk about cash bail. Illinois is now the first state to abolish it, and it goes into effect in 2023. Tell us how significant this legislation is. You know, the governor argues that it's a major step toward dismantling systemic racism.
0: It is, and and it's part of a very sweeping criminal justice reform bill that passed in the final hours of the lame duck session. Uh, The governor signed this bill, um, which has attracted a lot of critics for a variety of reasons, and cash bail probably is the most contentious issue, although there are many. By some measures, some 40 percent of the people behind bars today in the state of Illinois are there because they can't afford To pay their bail. But New Jersey has actually seen jail population go down. Violent crime and uh, other offenses have not increased the way that law enforcement claims will happen with the elimination of cash bail. And so on the equity side, the people who uh, in the Legislative Black Caucus and others who have supported this bill, this is just a landmark step forward in terms of equity in the enforcement of criminal justice.
1: A.D., can you break down for us what else is in this package?
2: Other changes include uh, mandates for body cameras for all officers statewide. That won't go into effect for another four years. It takes some time to buy and train officers on that tech. Anonymous complaints against officers. This was a big deal in the contract negotiations between um, Chicago and the Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, Arrestees being able to make a certain number of phone calls within three hours of being arrested beefed up certification for police officers. So as it stands, if you're accused of certain misconduct, um, it's a very narrow uh, list of things that you could be accused of and convicted of that would get you basically barred from being an officer. Um, under these, it's, it's kind of a, a broader category.
1: And AD, some say that the measure is going to make the state less safe. How so?
2: Right. There are a lot of law enforcement groups who have come out and said um, the new law would hamstring officers trying to do their jobs, that this is some kind of move to punish officers. Basically, that if we can't hold people for a while, um, we're going to make this crime worse. And this is basically going after cops. The opposition is going to continue. And I think a lot of uh, perhaps police unions and other kind of police affiliated groups are going to push for tweaks to this before it fully goes into effect in 2023
1: that's AD Quig of Crane Chicago Business also with us is David Grising of the Better Government Association David AD we got plenty of other stories to cover stories like these mayor Lori Lightfoot forced to explain today why she was heard swearing on an open mic during today's
2: city council meeting You're kidding me. Thank you, Alderwoman.
0: The Chicago lakefront has reopened today. Tomorrow, we're likely to hear from the FDA about a third vaccine being authorized. This is the one from Johnson & Johnson. Let us shine the lights in the darkness along the sacred pool of reflection. Remember all whom we lost.
1: All right, so let's jump right in. We just heard President Biden at a remembrance ceremony for Americans who've died of COVID-19. There are more than 500,000 names now on that list. A.D., where are we here in Illinois?
2: So here in Chicago, we're at a 3% positivity rate. That is way down from where it was at its peak, where we had days where it was close to 16%. We are averaging 261 cases a day. That's down 20% from the week before. And, of course, we are in the middle of our big vaccine rollout that is only going to ramp up more. That said, there are still people getting sick. There are still people dying, There is a light at the end of the tunnel, but the tunnel is pretty long. There seems to be some planning for the summer being a little bit more open, a little bit more back to normal. We're hearing some reports of city departments being prepared to go on with summer events. Uh, Restaurants are opening just slightly more under certain capacity restrictions, and we're getting more good news about uh, vaccine supply availability. So it's, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, but we see the light kind of.
1: At the beginning of the month, Illinois ranked 43rd in the nation for for total vaccine doses that were administered. But during his State of the State address last week, the governor claimed that Illinois has been a vaccination leader for the month of February. David, how do we really compare to other states in terms of vaccines?
0: Well, we're not quite as bad as the very bottom where we lingered for a long time. But but Governor Pritzker sort of overstated uh, how well we have bounced back we were very briefly at that moment that he delivered his speech, uh, delivering more vaccines than any state. But we're back down when you look on a per capita basis. Illinois really had a middling performance on average over the last several weeks. That reflects uh, difficulty with regard to distribution on the national level and also some specific problems as regard to a lack of planning and a lack of reliance on the private sector, as some states have done, to distribute vaccines in Illinois. The, the governor sometime back decided to go it uh, on his own in terms of the infrastructure, uh, and it's taken a little while to recover from that. Now we have pharmacies lining up, and, and, and we will have soon, next week, 7,000 doses a day available at the United Center. So we're starting to see some improvement, as AD said.
1: Yeah, and uh, our, our state positivity rate is on the decline right now. It's at 2.5 percent. Uh, but, David, you bring up the United Center, which teased me up for A.D. because she broke the news uh, about it uh, becoming a mass vaccination site in Chicago. A.D., what can you tell us about that?
2: So I had heard some rumblings last week that the United Center was going to be preparing to become a mass vaccination site. We had heard from the feds for weeks that they wanted to use FEMA and the Department of Defense to use big stadiums or big uh, college sites or convention centers to vaccinate people, especially in high-risk areas. So we got the official announcement uh, about an hour ago from the governor, Senator Durbin, President Preckwinkle, Lori Lightfoot, and FEMA officials that around March 10th, uh, the United Center's parking lot is going to open up and be able to vaccinate 6,000 people a day. That means we're getting shots directly from the federal government, thousands more shots. The United Center is a great location for a lot of reasons. It has good access to public transit, uh, good expressway access. It's a well-known site. It's got plenty of open space to do this safely. And it's on the west side, uh, which has had lower vaccination rates, as we've seen in these emerging maps of who is getting vaccinated and where Um, the hope is this will help the city and the state improve the big racial disparities we've seen between vaccination rates, between white people and black and Brown people. Um, So this will be open to folks in what we're calling phase one B plus. So that includes People over 65, but also people under 65 with underlying health conditions and older folks are going to get early access to the first batch of appointments.
1: Well, that uh, expanded eligibility that you speak of for Phase 1B, that starts today. But nine Chicago area counties say that they're not ready to join the state in this effort because there just isn't enough supply. David, talk about the role of the federal government here.
0: Well, the federal government, we've heard again and again from the Biden administration that the so-called Operation Warp Speed did a good job of actually developing vaccines but didn't do much in terms of infrastructure planning. And one of the difficulties is, as we've seen with the expansion to a larger subset of people with more health risks now becoming available, uh, is that people already in line who haven't gotten their vaccines are a little bit put off because now there are more people uh, scrambling for these vaccines, and we're seeing local uh, officials take action in order to kind of make limits. And, for example, in the northern part of the state, we will not see an expansion of eligibility, as will happen in other places, because the population here is so dense and the number of people served is, it remains lower than uh, the local officials would like it to be.
1: All right, so the city's lakefront and playgrounds and indoor pools, they've all started to reopen after the pandemic forced them to be closed nearly a year ago. Uh, when Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwady joined us on the program this week, she gave the decision her blessing. Let's listen.
0: Now actually is a good time to start getting those open. It takes a number of weeks. We're going to be heading into spring, hopefully not too long from now. And we want people uh, to be responsibly using those outdoor spaces. We're still going to have a mask requirement. Uh, We're still going to be prohibiting large gatherings in these settings. But by and large, um, we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel.
1: A.D., the lakefront's been closed since last March, you know, even as the city reopened for indoor dining. So what are your thoughts on the timing here, especially as it relates to how we're doing on cases and positivity rates here?
2: Personally, I'm just, I'm glad as (laughs) someone who lives close to the lake. I mean, I've had access to lakefront trails and parks, but there are times when I would like to go down to the beach and (laughs) stare at the water for a while. So now that opening up again, um, I think is both a recognition that our numbers are trending in a good direction but also that the city thinks they have a good handle and that the public understands what needs to be done to stay safe.
1: Well, Adi, I'll stick with you for another moment as we turn to Wednesday's city council meeting. Can you give us an overview of what was done in the monthly virtual meeting?
2: Plenty was done, (laughs) but I think most people were focusing on the hot mic moment. So I'll run down a couple interesting things that got introduced. There's a planned demolition ban along the 606 trail, basically fines for demolishing homes This is an attempt to keep um, housing affordable. What didn't get done was some measure of uh, finality on the city's COVID-19 spending relief plans. Those got blocked by two aldermen, and the the council is supposed to meet again to resolve that. But what ended up happening was when the mayor found out about that, WTTW reported, is when she uttered under her breath, you've got to be effing kidding me. Mm -hmm. This got captured on video and shared and just went went wild on social media because a lot of people thought she was responding to Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez, who was wrapping up remarks about Black History Month. Right. Um, we've had a couple hot mic moments with the mayor, and um, it's pretty well known that she sometimes uses colorful language. Mm-hmm. She referred to an FOP officer as a clown under her breath. It overshadowed everything else that got done at council that day um, yeah. and it has kind of followed her all week.
1: And uh, Lightfoot says that, that she did immediately text um, Alderman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez to clarify that it had nothing to do with with her remarks. David, the mayor is accusing Alderman Ed Burke of trying to sabotage her plans for COVID relief. Burke and Alderman Ray Lopez, um, they tried to delay a vote on the funds until March These are the same tactics that Burke used in the 80s to obstruct Harold Washington, Chicago's first black mayor. What can you tell us about that?
0: Mayor Lori Lightfoot has raised the question publicly now as to what is he doing still in office? What is he doing still in city council? This is akin to what Alderman Ed Burke, as the henchman of uh, Fast Eddie Berdoliak, the leader of what was then called the Bredoli Act 29 who even wore white buttons on their lapels to signify that they were part of the group that uh, were opposing the, the city's first black mayor Harold Washington and mayor Lightfoot memorably smacked Ed Burke down in her first city council meeting he rose uh, on a point of parliamentary order and she told him to sit down and that she would call on him when she uh, when she needed to hear from him and i don't believe Ad might know better than me. I'm not sure she's ever called on him since. And so, um, a lot of people have thought Burke was pretty much out of the picture. But this is a sign that behind the scenes, he and others who will consort with him politically, despite the fact that he is under, uh, has been charged with, you know, more than a dozen federal crimes, uh, that that they're still making mischief and seeking to obstruct. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot and her equity agenda.
1: Well, Burke is awaiting trial on 14 counts of corruption, including bribery and racketeering. A.D., he's refused to step down.
2: He's refused to step down. And for the most part, he has been uh, quiet. Like David said, after the mayor kind of chastised him at her very first meeting and set the tone for the relationship going forward, he has been mostly quiet. And when he does speak up, folks might remember he was like the de facto council historian who anytime there would be some honorific uh, resolution, he would basically be able to monologue on how this went back to something important in Chicago history. He's done that a couple times, and every time he does, all of us kind of perk up immediately because he's been mostly silent. He has not spoken to the press, basically, from the start of this, but, yes, has stayed on in the job, and the mayor is not a giant fan of it. I think she'd much prefer him to leave, but the interesting part of him staying on like David said, is he is one of the best versed people on council that know the rules. And I've been wondering and waiting to see if certain aldermen would listen to him or seek his advice for what they could do to potentially outmaneuver the mayor. And it looks like we kind of saw that this week.
1: Well, before I let you go, tell us what stories you're going to be watching over the next week. David, you first.
0: Chris Welch this week spoke to the Economic Club and raised the question of whether Governor Pritzker should consider trying again on the so-called fair tax that he tried to push through. And Chris Welch expressed the belief that if the governor had promised to help pay down pensions with the additional tax revenue, maybe that would have passed. Uh, There's a big question out there now as to whether Governor Pritzker is going to do anything to take him up on that idea. The governor um, staked his political future on that tax. And and the story of Chris Welch as the new Speaker of the House and a political player in Illinois is still very much developing. On top of that, we're still waiting to hear who the next Democratic Party chair will be. And that's also an interesting foot race to keep an eye on. Mm
2: -hmm. A.D., how about you? I will be anxiously waiting to see what happens with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I think we're going to get final federal approval this weekend. Because it's a single shot dose, because it doesn't require extra fancy storage and it has a good shelf life, I'm anxious to see how the city and state plan to roll that out. Are they going to use it with certain communities? Is it going to change um, their vaccination efforts? Because most sites uh, for mass vaccinations right now either use one or another dose and they have certain uh, workflows that make that happen. I'm anxious to see if Johnson & Johnson complicates things or maybe makes uh, other things easier.
1: Well, that's Crane Chicago business politics reporter A.D. Quigg and Better Government Association President David Grising. A.D. and David, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Sasha.
1: And that's WBEZ's weekly news roundup. Keep an eye on this podcast feed over the weekend. We're going to bring you our regular conversation with Dr. Mia Taramina this Sunday. The latest on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, new vaccination sites opening in and around Chicago, and the most recent science on keeping you and your family safe. That's coming your way Sunday in this feed. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the warm-up, and we'll meet again soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR.